0: Let's pray as we come to read from God's word. Lord God, we pray that as we read the Beatitudes, the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount again, we pray you would pour into our hearts the blissful happiness that Jesus speaks about in these verses. I pray we would experience a deeper joy than we have ever experienced before. Lord God, I pray also you would pour out your Holy Spirit during this time, that the Spirit and the Word of God would work together in unity to change us and make us more Christ-like, Lord God. I pray we would live out Jesus' description of the kingdom life in the Sermon on the Mount, and we can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, move powerfully in our midst during this time, I pray, as we read your Word and hear the Word preached. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, our sermon was called The Secret to Happiness Part 1. And so this week, originally and brilliantly, the sermon is called The Secret to Happiness Part 2. And the reason our sermons have been called that over the past two weeks is because as Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Man, as he preaches the greatest sermon ever preached, he begins by speaking about blissful happiness. He uses the word blessed, the Greek word makarios. And last week we defined that word blessed as truly or blissfully happy in God. And so in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching about blissful happiness in the kingdom of heaven he's revealing the christian secret to a happy life should we read those verses again i'm going to read again to you as i did last week matthew 5 verses 1 to 12 this is matthew 5 verses 1 to 12. seeing the crowds jesus went up on the mountain. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In last week's sermon, we asked and answered this question. What is the kingdom of heaven like from those first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5. And we saw that the kingdom of heaven was a kingdom of comfort. We saw that it was a kingdom of inheriting and enjoying the whole earth. We saw that it was a kingdom of satisfaction. We saw that it was a kingdom of mercy. We saw that it was a kingdom of seeing God face to face. We saw that it was a kingdom of family and being called sons and daughters of God but most of all we saw through that word blessed through that word makarios that the kingdom of heaven was a kingdom of happiness that Christians those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation those who've repented turned away from their sin and believed in Jesus can know happiness here and now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of happiness So that was, what is the kingdom of heaven like? This week, we're going to answer a different question. What kind of people inherit the kingdom of heaven? Or what kind of people are happy in the kingdom of heaven? And we're going to jump straight in and start answering that question by having a look at verse 3. In verse 3, it says, blissfully happy in God are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who is happy in verse three? Who has the kingdom of heaven in verse three? It's the poor in spirit. So the people described by Jesus in verse three are poor, but they're not necessarily poor financially. No, these people have a poverty in the things that that are spiritual. Now, interestingly, if you read the Sermon on the Plain recorded in Luke chapter 6, Jesus does say in Luke 6, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so there he does seem to be talking about being financially poor. But in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain are two different sermons that Jesus preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about a poverty of spirit. He's talking about people in verse 3 who are humble enough to realise that they are spiritually poor. The poor in spirit say and think things like this. When it comes to doing good to others, when it comes to worshipping God, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to loving the hurting, I find my spiritual bank balance to be very small indeed. In fact, when I think about my pride and my selfishness and my laziness and my lack of honesty and my lack of love and my lack of care, I realise that in fact my bank balance isn't just small. I'm in the red. I am heavily in debt. Those who are poor in spirit believe that they are in debt when it comes to spiritual richness. They recognise Their poorness of goodness, their poorness of morality, their poorness of spirit. Now, every other religion, as I understand them, says the opposite of what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As I understand the other major world religions, those religions say you need to earn spiritual credit. You need to do good deeds. And as you do good deeds, as if you as if you're spiritual bank balance increases. Each good deed adds more money to the money that you've got in your spiritual bank balance. And if when you die, that balance is as high as it needs to be, if you've earned enough spiritually by your good deeds, when you die, you'll go to heaven or God will accept you or the universe will bless you with good karma, whatever major world religion you're a part of. That's what all the other world religions say. You've got to earn enough spiritually. You've got to be rich spiritually and then you will receive heaven. But Christianity says, and Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who consider themselves to be poor in spirit. And so let me ask you this morning... Are you poor in spirit? Do you recognise your moral and spiritual bankruptcy? Do you know that you need a saviour to pay off your spiritual debt? If the answers to those questions are yes, be happy, rejoice, you are the blessed ones that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason you can be happy Is because Jesus died on the cross to save people just like you. He died on the cross to save you, to pay off your spiritual bank balance and to welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. But it's only those people who are humble enough, who are poor enough in spirit to accept the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those who think of themselves as spiritually rich, those who 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 say, I'm a very spiritual person or those people who think of themselves as good are not poor in spirit and therefore will not have the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus describes in this verse, the kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. Now, there are two groups of people in particular who need to hear this this morning. The first group of people are people who have ruled themselves out. Because of a feeling of unworthiness. They think Jesus can't possibly love me. Jesus can't possibly want me for his kingdom. I'm a terrible person. I've done awful things. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not a prayerful person. Jesus couldn't possibly want me. Or they think things like this, that I'm not valuable to the church. I can't do anything to bless the church because I'm poor. Spiritually, I'm a poor person. If that's how you feel, this opening beatitude is music to your ears, because Jesus is saying it's people exactly like you who he wants in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours if you have that humility, that poorness of spirit to realise that you aren't worthy for heaven, that you haven't earned heaven by your own good deeds, but rather you are spiritually bankrupt and you need a saviour to give you the gift of the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit to the poor in spirit, says Jesus, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you see this message all the way through the Bible. Think of Moses. Moses was a murderer. Moses was one who ran away from his problems. Moses was one who didn't speak very well and did everything to try and convince God to send somebody else to do his work. And yet God used him mightily to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Think of David, David was Jesse's youngest son. And when Samuel came to Jesse and said, show me your sons and and God will pick the king of Israel from among them. Jesse didn't even bother bringing David to stand before Samuel. All the other sons were there, but Jesse thought it can't possibly be David. I'm not going to even bring him to meet with Samuel. And David was a man who lusted, who committed the sin of adultery and then killed the man who's whose wife he'd slept with. He was a spiritually poor man, and yet God raised him up to be king in Israel, to do, to be a great king, to be a mighty king, to be a man even described as a man after God's own heart. Think about Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' death and yet he became the apostle, the rock, upon whom the church was built. You see, the kingdom of heaven has halls which are full of people who were spiritually poor, full of people who had morally failed, who were morally bankrupt, who were poor in spirit. But Jesus doesn't tear down the poor in spirit. Jesus raises them up and invites them to be citizens, even heroes in the kingdom of heaven. So if you're ruling yourself out because you feel unworthy, remember that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is for people just like you. The second group of people who need to hear this opening beatitude from Jesus in Matthew chapter five are people who have been Christians for a long time. And over that time, they've forgotten the spiritual poverty from which they were saved. Over time, as a Christian, there's a pride that has built up in all you've achieved for the church. There's even a bitterness and a frustration in you at younger Christians who aren't following your example or who aren't quite as prayerful as you or giving quite as sacrificially as you. There's a failure to confess sins to others and a failure to confess sins in prayer, in your prayer life. And so over time, you've forgotten the poorness of spirit that you had when you first came to know Jesus Christ. And now you're walking in pride. Well, Jesus would say to you through the Sermon on the Mount and through this sermon, you need to be challenged by Jesus' word. You need to confess now your pride and be brought back to that that humility that says, I am poor in spirit. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Without Christ, my bank balance was Badly in the red. It's only with Christ and in the power of the spirit that I've walked as a Christian for these previous years. All of us, every Christian, the kingdom of heaven needs to be poor in spirit, humble to know that we need a saviour. What kind of people inherit the kingdom of heaven? Those who are poor in spirit. Secondly, looking at verse four, it says this. Blissfully happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The kingdom of heaven and the comfort of God and the happiness of the kingdom of heaven is for those who mourn. This beatitude speaks to us of the emotional beauty and subtlety of the Christian life. Christians often experience sadness and happiness at the same time in a way that others cannot comprehend or understand. I know this to be true of my own life. I'm often feeling sad about one thing and yet happy in God in another, in another thing. And, and so I live life in this mourning and rejoicing, this sorrow and happiness, this sadness and joy together, feeling both those emotions at the same time. Now, there's a there's a general point about mourning here in this beatitude, which says this, whatever reason that you mourn, there is comfort in God. And we have loads of reasons to mourn, don't we, in life. COVID-19, the death of those whom we love, loneliness, hardship, stress, pressure, failure, rejection, all kinds of things in this life can cause us to be sad and to mourn. Jesus himself is described in the Bible as a man of sorrows. Jesus knew what it was to mourn and to cry and to weep. And and so to be Christ-like is to know sorrow here on the earth in this life. And so mourn, Christians mourn, be sad. Struggle with sadness at times. It's okay. It's part of being Christ-like, actually. But in your mourning, in your sorrow, in your sadness, know the hope of God's comfort and therefore find happiness. There's amazing moments to be found in moments of sadness and sorrow as Christians, where we're sad about something, we're mourning something that's happened to us or something that's going on in the world, and we're we're full of sorrow, and yet in that moment, we remember that in heaven, Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye, and all who trust in Christ will no longer know sadness and sorrow. And so even in the sadness, you, you see this light of hope, and this light of hope grows into joy and happiness, and suddenly you're crying and you're rejoicing, you're sad at what the world is currently now, and yet you're rejoicing at what the world be, will be in the future. There's this mourning mixed with happiness. That is what Jesus is speaking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. So there's that general point. There's that general comfort to all Christians. Whatever you mourn about now, when Jesus comes a second time and establishes the kingdom of heaven here on earth, there'll be no more tears and no more sadness. But Jesus is always also calling us to a specific type of mourning. It's a specific type of mourning that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven experience, and it's a mourning and a sorrow at sin. Christians should experience sorrow and mourn the sin that is in the world. You know, if you watch the video of George Floyd that should make you deeply sad and sorrowful. And, and I think tears should come and you should mourn what, what was happening in that moment. And of course, there are so many other examples of racism that, that is happening in the world right now and has happened all around the world in the past. And those things should make us feel very sad. We should mourn that sin and injustice in the world. The same is true of abortions. There are appalling numbers of abortions happening. There are an appalling number of lives that have been taken through the process of abortion. And that should cause mourning in the Christian, in the in the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We should see those numbers and we should mourn for them. We should feel sorrowful at all the people who are not alive now who would have been alive had those abortions not taken place. There is sin in the world that should upset you as a Christian. But closer to home, your own sin should also cause you to mourn. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray this. Forgive us our sin. And in my experience, the charismatic church neglects confession of sin as a worthwhile exercise. More traditional churches, where they have liturgy, tend to do much, much better at including confession of sin as part of their services, but also part of their life. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says we should confess our sin to God. And so as Christians, we should do that. When we pray to God, we should confess our sin. And as we confess our sin, we should mourn and cry at the ways we dishonor God and disobey his commands. Our own personal sin should cause us to mourn. You know, as I grow in spiritual maturity, I cry more. I have a much greater appreciation for the ways in which I have dishonoured God. The more I understand Christ, the more I see my own sin and the more I cry about that sin. Having said that, as I grow in spiritual maturity, I also have deeper expressions of happiness and joy. Uh, So both are true. I cry more because I see my sin and I see the pain that it causes God and the pain it causes to others. And so it causes me to mourn and cry at my own sin. And yet at the same time, I have a greater appreciation of forgiveness and and the love of God because I've understood my sin better. I have a greater appreciation of the comfort that God is giving me. And so I know greater happiness and I know greater sadness and greater happiness at the same time in the Christian walk. And, And I pray you would know that to be true. own life as well. As you grow in spiritual maturity, you would cry and mourn at your own sin and yet rejoice in the comfort and forgiveness you have in Christ. Who are happy in the kingdom of heaven? It's those who mourn at the sin in the world and the sin in their own lives. They are then happy in the promise of God's comfort. Thirdly, verse five, blissfully happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek means to be gentle, not responding in anger with harsh words. But gently, kindly, with care, speaking and dealing with others in our lives. To be meek also doesn't just mean to be gentle. It also means to be submissive. Not to oppress others or to assert yourself so as to advance your own means and ends, but rather to submit to God. Submitting to all his instructions in your life, but also submitting to others, putting others needs and wants and desires and wills ahead of your own. Every Christian should practice submission. Jesus was a great example of what it looks like to be submissive. Despite having great power and great wisdom, Jesus was also submissive in his life. And so we, every single Christian, all of us should practice submission. If you're someone in authority, you're called to practice servant leadership. And so even in leadership, you in a sense submit as you serve and raise up others. And if you're under God-given authority, you should delight to submit to whoever's authority you are under, as if you were submitting to Jesus himself. I wonder whether you describe yourself as a submissive person. The meek, the ones who will inherit the earth, are gentle, loving, and caring, and also submissive to others around them. The meek know blissful happiness, for they will inherit the whole earth. So who's going to enjoy the kingdom of heaven? It's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and the meek. Fourthly, in verse six, citizens of Jesus' kingdom, hunger and thirst for righteousness. More than food? More than wealth, more than friendships, disciples of Jesus Christ hunger and desire to do what is right. That's what righteousness is. It's doing what is right. And so test yourself. Ask yourself this morning, what am I hungering for? What am I desiring in my life? Do I find myself dreaming and thinking and desiring of a bigger house or more money or more possessions or more friendships? Or do I hunger and desire for righteousness? Also, at this point, you can start to see how different Beatitudes start to work together. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will also be those who mourn over sin. If you're desperate, if you hunger to do righteously when you don't do righteously and you commit a sin, that will cause you to mourn and be sorrowful. Now, hunger for righteousness is best expressed by searching the scriptures for God's instructions. So if you're someone who hungers for righteousness, you will love to read God's word and you will prioritize it in your day as you hunger to find out what righteousness looks like. And secondly, those who hunger for righteousness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, will always choose to act wisely in obedience. Whenever they're faced with a decision, they will go, what's the righteous thing to do? What will God have me do? That's the way they're thinking. They're not thinking, how can I gain from this situation? How can I benefit? No, they're thinking, what's right in this situation? So do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Pray now that God would give you greater hunger, that that is what you would desire, that your stomach wouldn't rumble for food, but your stomach would rumble for greater righteousness in the way you live your life. Fifthly, in verse seven, it says this. Blissfully happy in God are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Christians do not just receive forgiveness from God. They also show forgiveness to others. Just like our God, we should be slow to anger and quick to forgive As I preach this, there's just a sense that there may be some of you watching this who are harbouring unforgiveness in your heart. There's a growing bitterness and resentment at someone or a group of people who have done you harm in your past. I see this quite a lot on Facebook. People often talking about the harm that others have done to them as they post their, what are you thinking right now? And people say, I'm thinking about that person who really hasn't done right to me. And so many people harbour unforgiveness in their life. I would, I would say to you, that unforgiveness will do you no good. It will make you to be bitter and resentful. It will, it will rob you of joy, that unforgiveness. And the longer you hold on to it, the more harm it will do. So I would encourage you to, to let go, to forgive this morning. May the Holy Spirit of forgiveness be breathed into your heart today For those who are merciful are blissfully happy in God because they also will receive the mercy of God. We have been wonderfully and greatly forgiven for our sin by God. So let us as Christians show mercy liberally to others who sin against us. Sixthly, verse eight, blissfully happy are the pure in heart. For they shall see God." It's the pure in heart who inherit the kingdom of heaven and will see God face to face. Let me ask you, are the things you love in your heart pure and good things? Or are they wicked, sinful things? Psalm 24 verse 3 says this, "'Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place?' He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. You see, the sixth beatitude is about inward purity, not outwardly appearing to be God. It's not those who who dress well, who look holy who are going to see God. No, it's those who are inwardly pure, pure of heart, who will see the Lord God face to face. And so here, as we read this, as we read this sixth beatitude, we need to show a poorness of spirit and a humility in this moment. We need to confess that our hearts are not pure, that there is evil that exists in our hearts. There's part of the way we think and feel and love that we have never revealed to other people because we're ashamed of it. We know that it's evil. We know that it's wrong. We know that it's not pure. And so we need to have our humility to confess that this morning. And yet we also need to rejoice because the good news of Jesus Christ is that he gives the Holy Spirit who transforms our hearts and the Holy Spirit brings a purity that we cannot achieve ourselves. That's why I love the gift of the Holy Spirit. We love that that it's not just Jesus saying, here are the rules, follow them and and, and you'll be okay. No, it's Jesus saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who will breathe new life into you and purify your heart in order to transform you inwardly so you can follow these commandments and so if you're reflecting on yourself and saying my heart is not pure i love things that are impure i care about things that are not of god ask for the holy spirit ask that he would change the things you love would change the things you care about and desire to be purified by the holy spirit in order that you might be deeply happy In the knowledge that one day you will see god face to face you know i think about that often that moment where i will see the creator of the universe in his glory and majesty and beauty face to face and he will say to me duncan well done my good and faithful servant he will say the same to you if you have received the holy spirit if your heart is being purified if the things you love and care about are the things of god rather than the things of evil you can long in blissful happiness for that glorious moment. Seventh, in verse nine, blissfully happy in God are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Who will inherit the kingdom of heaven? Who is blissfully happy? It's the peacemakers in verse nine. Do you know, our Saviour Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He died on the cross that all who believe in Christ might not be enemies of God, but might have peace with God. And so we should follow Christ's example, just as Jesus was the greatest peacemaker in all of history, so we also, his followers, should be peacemakers in our daily walk. Preaching the gospel to non-believers, is one way of making peace, since all who believe in Christ enter into peace with God. So when you preach the gospel and non-believers hear it and respond and believe in Christ, in that moment you are being a peacemaker, you are bringing peace between that person and God. It's an amazing way of being a peacemaker, preaching the gospel, telling others the good news of Christ. But also we should be peacemakers in the world, bringing resolution to conflict bringing people together, reconciling differences between different groups of people. I do pray and hope that in some sense, the church can be leaders on this issue of racism and bring peace between different groups of people together that people might be treated with the honor and respect that they are worthy of whatever their race, whatever whatever background they're from. I pray that the church would be peacemakers in this region, that, that we would find ways to be peacemakers in this way. But also we need to be peacemakers in our personal lives. Where conflicts have arisen, we need to seek peace and reconciliation with others. And maybe you're at a place now where actually you're in a conflict with someone maybe with the people you're living with in your home. You've had conflict in the last week. Be a peacemaker. Seek reconciliation. Apologize for your wrongdoing and, and seek to repair that relationship. Or maybe there's a relative or a friend who you haven't spoken to for a long, long time because there's this conflict in your relationship. You need to be a peacemaker. Take a step of peacemaking today. Reach out to them. Bless them. Send, send them this beatitude and say, I'm just praying through this and I, I just really want to bring peace between us again. For blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So Jesus gives us seven qualities in the Beatitudes. He gives these seven qualities to his disciples. These are are qualities that citizens of the kingdom of heaven should walk in. We should be poor in spirit. We should mourn sin. We should be meek, gentle and submissive. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should be merciful. We should be pure in heart and we should be peacemakers as Christians. And then the eighth beatitude comes in verse 10. And the eighth beatitude is a warning that people who live like this will be persecuted. Blissfully happy in God are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12 unpack this beatitude a little bit more. And start to explain the perse- what persecution might look like for Christians. Now the first seven beatitudes are attitudes that we should cultivate and seek in our life. I don't think we should seek perse- persecution in our life. But we need to know that it will come. That those who... Live out Jesus' commandments. Those who speak the gospel boldly to unbelievers, those who follow Christ in all things, even those who are meek and gentle and caring and loving in the way they say things, will say things that upset people and therefore will suffer persecution, will be reviled, and evil will be uttered against us. But when persecution does come, And it will. We can be happy. Isn't that the amazing truth of the final beatitude? It's not go and seek persecution. It's not like the first beatitude where I'm saying we need to be poor in spirit. I'm not saying we need to go out and find persecution. No, I'm saying we need to live in Christ. And when persecution comes. And we know it will. We can still rejoice. We can still be happy. We we can rejoice for the prophets suffered the same thing. The prophets of the Old Testament, the heroes of the Old Testament also suffered reviling and evil spoken on their behalf and persecution. The apostles in the New Testament suffer persecution as well. Jesus himself suffers great persecution. He dies a righteous man on the cross under the persecution of wicked men. And so like all of them. We can be blissfully happy when we suffer persecution, for we will be rewarded in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Even during persecution, we can rejoice. I want to finish with three quick final thoughts this morning. My first thought is this. The qualities described in the Beatitudes are perfected in Jesus Christ. Do you wanna know what it looks like to be a peacemaker? Read about Jesus Christ in the Bible. Do you want to know what it looks like to be meek? Look at the way Jesus submits to those people who were, who were going to put him to death. It says in the Bible, he was handed over into the hands of sinful men and he submitted. He was submissive in that moment. Jesus shows us what true meekness really looks like. Do you, know what, do you want to know what mourning and sorrow looks like in the Christian life? Well, look at Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what hungry and thirsting for righteousness looks like? Well, look at Jesus Christ. Do you know what, want to know what humility of spirit looks like? look at Jesus Christ. These qualities that Jesus preaches about in the Sermon on the Mount are all perfected in Jesus himself. He demonstrates, he's the perfect example of what it looks like to live out these kingdom qualities, these kingdom attitudes that he preaches about. That's my first thought. Second thought, these attitudes are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Christ, which is given by Jesus, is given to all Christians so that they might display these qualities in their lives. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings a conviction of sin. And so someone who's received the Holy Spirit starts to feel poor in spirit. They start to realize that they need a savior, that they're spiritually bankrupt. And it brings a sorrow at sin. And so those who receive the spirit mourn at sin in the world. And then the Holy Spirit starts to change that person. It makes them meek. It gives them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. The Spirit gives us mercy. The Spirit purifies our hearts. The Spirit gives us a longing to make peace here on the earth. So all these things that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount are things that are fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting there thinking, wow, I'm not these things. I don't know whether these attitudes really do describe me as a Christian, as a citizen of heaven. Pray for the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us this morning that we might show these qualities. To walk with the Spirit is to walk in these qualities that Jesus preaches about. And so I pray this week you would know a greater understanding and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you would start to walk in these things by the power of the Holy Spirit changing your heart. But thirdly and finally, my final thought is that we should also deliberately seek to grow in these qualities we partner with the holy spirit it's not just spirit change me all right now i just go and do the rest of my life no it's spirit change me spirit fill me and i'm going to deliberately practice these qualities in my life and so i'd encourage you to pick one of those attitudes that jesus preaches in the sermon on the mount These are the types of people who will know blissful happiness here in this life and will enter into the kingdom of heaven in the future. And so I I invite you to pick one that you're weak in and to pray into that. Pray, Lord, give me meekness. Give me greater meekness, I pray. And then tell someone that that's the one you've picked. Uh, So I'll say to Rachel, Rachel, I've chosen the quality of meekness. I pray you, I pray, may you pray for me that I would grow in gentleness that I would grow in submission in my own life. And then look for opportunities to practice that quality in your life. You know, this week at work, how how can I be meek? How can I serve others? How can I put others' um, priorities ahead of my own? How can I be submissive to my boss and and, and, submit to his instructions? Let's let's practice meekness or whichever um, quality you've chosen. Let's look for opportunities this week to live those things out because we want to be Christ-like don't we Christ has saved us we're not going to earn our way into heaven no we're, we go into heaven because we're poor in spirit and we cry out to God for mercy and receive forgiveness and then we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes and changes us and we want to partner with the Holy Spirit to live out these things that we might know the blissful happiness that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount that we might inherit and enter into and enjoy the glories of the kingdom of heaven now here and now we can start to experience some of those wonderful blessings but in the future when Jesus comes again, we will know them in fullness, in completeness. And so this is a glorious opening to the Sermon on the Mount. May we show these kingdom qualities, these kingdom attitudes in our life and grow in Christlikeness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your words in the Sermon on the Mount. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon each of us now, that we might follow your example and live out these things. I pray you would make us poor in spirit. I pray you would help us mourn at sin. I pray you would make us meek. I pray you would give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray that we would be merciful, forgiving people. I pray that we would be pure of heart and I pray that we would make peace in our own lives and all over the world and between God and men by preaching the gospel. Lord God, fulfill these things in the power of the Spirit in our lives. Help us partner with the Spirit to walk in these things. And may each of us know the blissful happiness that you invite us into as we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Lord God, for the secret to happiness revealed in these words in the Sermon on the Mount. May we know today that blissful happiness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.